good morning. It's very good to be with you here this morning. I was going to try to sneak by my swollen right eye, hoping nobody would notice. And I had it accomplished until just a little bit ago. Someone said, what happened to your eye? So my wife wisely admonished me just to tell you what happened. I learned a very valuable lesson yesterday. Uh, bees do not take very lightly to being chased around with a leaf blower. <clears throat> and most of them fled like the Israelites, but then there's one bee named David said he's going to come back the opposite direction. Now we can move on. <clears throat> what is the phrase or slogan that our nation adopted after the series of events on 9-11? After what happened on 9-11, our nation says, we will never forget. What year was that? 2001. How many airplanes were involved? Four. Okay. The first one hit the, the towers. 18 minutes later, the second one did. One crashed into the, in Virginia, Pentagon. And the fourth one crashed in Shanksville. How many people were killed? Three thousand. That what you said. Did anybody have, he's extremely close. Anybody have an exact number? I wouldn't have known either. It's okay. 2,000, 3,200, 2,996. The one place I was looking, they said 2,977. And I go, what's the discrepancy here? And that place was not counting the 19 terrorists that actually died in the, in the planes as well. 2,996. And today, our, our nation repeats, we will never forget. Another question. What one word or phrase comes to your mind when you think about our communion service? You don't have to answer. Just ponder that. What one word or phrase comes to your mind when you think about our communion service? So earlier this week, I do believe it was Monday, I, I text three fine gentlemen, they're all three sitting here this morning, and I ask them that exact question. So I got a reply after a while, and the first one said, thankfulness and remembrance. And Ray brought that remembrance out this morning. We'll look at that throughout this morning. So we need to, uh, with grateful hearts, we remember what, how Jesus suffered and died for us. Another response come back, and this brother said, partaking with Jesus. And I, I thought that was sweet, as we're going to do that here this morning as well. We're going to partake with Jesus. Like the disciples did, we will as well. And maybe one of the hardest aspects of the question I asked these brothers is that I said one word or phrase, but I was blessed by this, and I quote, the first thing I think of Christ's willingness to suffer and die as a sacrifice for our sins, but along with Christ's request for us to partake of communion in remembrance of him. Additionally, John 3:16 and the song, The Love of God. As Christ's followers, servants one of another, I could go on. It's hard to reduce my thoughts that flood my mind when I think of communion. 
the number one thing in reducing this down to is remembering what Christ has done for us. And that brother comes back with remembrance. And I, just on that comment, he said thoughts flooded his mind when he pondered the communion service. Yes, it's hard to put into a phrase. And maybe the first two brothers, if I would have said what comes to your mind, I would have got paragraphs upon paragraphs, but I got what I was looking for. What do you think of when you think of our communion service? As we commemorate our communion service this morning, I trust we will never forget what Jesus has done for us, how he suffered and died for our sins. So we could ask other questions. Why did Jesus institute communion? And, and the phrase that comes to my mind are the words of Jesus when he said, reflecting what we heard already, is this do in remembrance of me. I think above all, I just, I just trust that this morning as we go about our lives, we'll never forget that price that he paid for our salvation. And I believe Jesus wants us to take his suffering and his death to a deeper level. And I mean that by saying we need to ponder the account and to picture in our mind the details of his suffering. And then we're going to pause and say, thank you, Jesus, for restoring our relationship with our Heavenly Father as we partake with him. He paid it all this morning, today, all to him we owe. For scripture verse, I invite you to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, let's read verse 7 through 20. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us a Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. When the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you that I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and brake it and said unto them, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, the cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. We have here, it was time to celebrate the Passover. So Jesus told Peter and John, go make the preparations. Preparations. The Passover lamb needed to be killed and roasted. The room needed to be prepared for, for the supper. The table needed to be set, and other food had to be gathered in this uh, preparation time. So John, Peter and John said, where? And Jesus gave them detailed instructions, although no physical street address. And in verse 10, he said, you're going to see a man carrying a pitcher of water, which was not a normal scene back in the eastern cities because normally the women carried the water. But Jesus said, when you enter the city, you're going to see a man carrying a pitcher of water. And when you see him, just follow him into his house. So try to picture yourself in, in, your, in, in Peter and John's shoes. 
When you get there, ask for permission to use the guest chamber. And he's going to show you a large upper room, and it's going to be completely furnished. So verse 13, they obeyed, and they found everything just as Jesus had told them. And right here in this account, as in many places in the Bible, we can clearly see evidence of the perfect knowledge of Jesus Christ. You think about all he told them they're going to find, and it just all held out exactly as he had said. Moving on, Jesus sits down. Supper time came. He sat down with his disciples. So if you can, just picture them there in this upper room. Everything was prepared. Peter and John had completed their job. They were seated around the table, ready to eat. And verse 15, I thought, was so, is so beautiful. Jesus said, with a fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. You know, Jesus had his heart set upon this very special experience. The time had come. He was eager to sit down and, and share in this meal together. He longed for this time. He had, Jesus had a normal yearning to spend the last moments of his time before his death with those whom he dearly loved. And here they were seated around the table. And the thought came to mind, was it the desire to share in the Passover supper with them alone? Or also, remember we call this the Last Supper, and all, but also was it that alone or also just to introduce to them the first communion service? And this morning, here shortly, we're going to partake with Jesus and a time I trust we are all considered very special. And also a time I, I trust we're looking forward to. And as with fervent desire, I look forward to this. And I trust he is looking forward to being with us here this morning as well as we partake in our communion time. So that as we think back and remember what he has done for us, how he suffered for us, what we, what we can say is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In the verses I read, you notice there are two cups. In verse 17, it's the last cup of the Last Supper, and in verse 20, it is the communion cup. So for point number one uh, is he took bread. In verse 19, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it unto them. So Jesus, there was bread there. He, he broke into pieces and, and gave the broken pieces of bread for his disciples to eat. And Jesus used bread to represent his body. And the question I had is, uh, why bread? As, as many of you know, I, I am not a baker, and I had to think back, and I don't ever remember baking a loaf of bread. But I was told, now ladies, be careful here. Don't just let me explain. I was told there are four basic ingredients that you need to make bread, and many people use a lot more. So you, have, you, need, you need flour, and then you need yeast and you're going to have to use some water and a little bit of salt. Now I was a little apprehensive about sharing that because like I said this is not my forte so I had the blessing of sitting with uh, the baker from Burdenham Bake Shop and everybody knows oh Burdenham rolls so I said hey Calvin I said is this right and he said he thought a little bit and I heard from Drew that he actually adds some more things to his bread. But yes, he said, that, that's, that's the basic ingredients that you need. And then he said, <clears throat> even though you're going to use just a little bit of salt, he said, if you forget to add the salt, he said, the bread is, is not going to get right. 
And then he said, I can, I, it's hard to, I can't, I don't understand myself, he was telling me how it all works, but you do need, need some salt. So that are the four basic ingredients, although other stuff is added. So um, we talked about, I'm showing you here some flour, and I'm not, for the sake of a mess, I won't take the lid off, but how do you get flour? Wheat flour is, is made by taking a, your kernels of wheat and putting them into the can? No. Wheat flour is made by taking this kernel and they, they crush the kernel and then in that process you're removing the outer shell and then what is inside that kernel you ground into a, a powder-like consistency which turns out to be something like this. You could take your other three ingredients and throw in some wheat kernels, but you will not get your loaf of bread. So crushing the wheat kernel, what it does, it exposes the, the center core ingredient which is required to make flour. So just as, just as the wheat kernel needed to be broken to make flour, the body of Jesus Christ also needs to be broken in order to provide salvation for mankind. And he is telling them as he's breaking that bread that my body is going to be broken. Jesus provided the way. And if you fast forward that to the gospel message in the New Testament, what we have is now he tells everyone who has a desire to become a child of his, to follow his. What does he tell us to do? Over and over again, he says that we need to do what? Deny self and then take up the cross and follow him. So Jesus requ requires commitment. So what is the process? I'll just quickly explain the process of turning this into flour. What's the process of turning the old man into the new man? Well, to deny self is similar to like crushing the outer shell of self in order to get to the center core of the matter. It's like crushing the kernel of wheat. An uncrushed kernel of, of, uh, of wheat is good for, and I had in my notes nothing, but I took it back out and said good for little, because I said, well, you know, you could use this as a fall decoration. In case you didn't realize that, that's where it's headed, but I'm done with it. <laughs> that's why I'm handling it so very gently. It's not my, uh, it's not my, not mine. I had a brother that said, what, Lena, are we going to bring in the sheaves this morning? I said, I don't think so, but unless he wants to, we can. But that's where we're at. <clears throat> So when you take that kernel and you crush it, make it into flour, it turns into something that can be useful. Statistics say, I know we often bring the statistic to the pulpit, we kind of do that cautiously. Each American consumes on the average 53 pounds of bread every year. Uh, I can't prove that. When we get rid of the outer uh, shell of self, then as true children of God, we can be used for his divine will. Moving on, John, Jesus said in John 6, I am the bread of life. So don't have bread up here, just have a few of the ingredients. Just like bread provides fulfillment for physical life, so Jesus Christ, the bread of life, provides for a fulfillment for spiritual life. Physical bread, back to the bread loaf, it gives us life by nourishing and sustaining our bodies. Bread satisfies our hunger, energizes our drive, creates a desire for more. And it gives life by being partaken on a regular basis. And you think of them five things, that's exactly what Jesus does for us. As the bread of life, 
He gives life to us as believers by nourishing our bodies, satisfying our, our spiritual hunger, giving us energy to, to press on for him, and creating a desire for more. Such, such an important step in the Christian life that we desire more and more of Jesus Christ, and also just that we partake of him each and every day. If a man comes to Christ, who is the bread of life, the Bible tells us he will never hunger. So man has a, a starving, craving need for life. We crave for life that is full and satisfying, that is nourishing and sustaining, that is energizing, has its desires fulfilled. And as when man comes to Jesus Christ, all who come to him will never hunger, and all who come to him will desire more and more. We sing that song in a, in a Christian hymnal sometime, I think at number 314, Jesus Christ is all I need. Wisdom, righteousness, and power, holiness forevermore. We'll find everything that we need in Christ. This might be a few ingredients for bread, but Jesus is the bread of life, and in him we find everything that we need. So with Christ being the bread of life, now here in Luke 22, he breaks the bread in the presence of the disciples and tells them to remember his body. Breaking the bread symbolizes his broken body. Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He's telling us his body was going to be broken or sacrificed as a victim for our man's deliverance. In the act of <clears throat> breaking bread, it was so significant in the early church that sometimes they called the Lord's Supper simply the breaking of bread. Under the Old Testament, broken bread pictured the suffering of the Israelites, and in the New Testament, the broken of bread pictures the body, a broken body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And uh, over and over again, we're going to see that in remembrance of Jesus Christ. So the wheat kernel needs to be crushed to be processed into something useful. Our old man, our old self, needs to be crushed and put to death so the process of sanctification can begin and then the child of God can become useful in the hands of the maker. And because of our sin, Jesus suffered. Nails were driven through his hands and feet, and his body was broken to restore that relationship with God. So that this morning, as we commemorate our communion service, may we never forget how Jesus suffered and died for our sin. Moving on to verse 20 for our second point. The second point is he took the cup. Likewise, after the likewise the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So right after Jesus served bread, he served the wine, saying, uh, in a different this cup, which is poured out for you, signifies the blood of the new covenant, which is shortly to be confirmed by the shedding of my blood. Again, comparison. 1 Corinthians 11, 25 and 26. After the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is a new testament of my blood. This do as oft as ye drink it. Why? In remembrance of me. So when we partake, we're remembering his broken body and his shed blood. So we could ask, why did Jesus use the juice to represent his body? Then we could think again. We looked a little bit about how, how flour, sorry, how wheat, uh, bread is made. What about how is grape juice made? So grape juice is a similar process.
process, you take the grapes and you crush the grape. You remove the seeds, the outer shell, the pulp, and only the pure juice will be used to make grape juice. And we think of, of uh, removing all the impurities, which happens when we deny self, which happens when, we, when they, they make uh, flour and, and grape juice. But uh, Jesus Christ, no impurities needed to be uh, removed because he was pure. John 19.34, but one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith there came out blood and water. We know the story well. His side was pierced. His pure, sinless blood was shed. Pure, life-giving blood flowed from his side like the liquid out of squeezed grapes. So this morning, as we pause and shortly here and drink of that juice, we will never forget how he shed his blood for us. Brothers and sisters, I, let's back up to Wednesday night a little bit. We had a very special service here at our baptismal service when four young hearts made a public uh, statement of their desire and their decision to follow Jesus Christ. And this morning, another special service as, as we quiet our hearts and just pause, set aside our daily cares, and just remember how our Lord and Master shed his blood for our sin. He did it for you and I. And I repeat, we will never forget. Third point, you don't have to turn to it. The third point is he took a towel from John 13. These verses will be read later on here this morning. So after supper was over, Jesus uh, washed his disciples' feet. And there we have the ordinance of feet washing. So go back last Sunday. We heard about Stephen, the humble, committed servant who was full of the Holy Ghost and of power. So let's think about a servant for a moment. I'd like to read a few verses. Matthew 23, 11, and 12. Jesus said, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And picture Jesus uh, setting aside his, his outer clothing, then taking a towel, girding himself, and getting down on his hands and knees and washing his disciples' feet. Verse 12, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, but he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So where do we see true servanthood? In humility. Matthew 18, 3 and 4, And verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught the ordinance of feet washing by example. He, Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. In our minds, the greatest. We, well, Wednesday night, we, we sang the song, we place him in the highest place. And that's where he belongs. But here, he girded himself with a towel. We're talking about uh, the task that the servants did back in the day. And then he washed his disciples' feet. So you think about that. Then in Matthew, we see in order to be kind of worthy, worthy in the eyes of the Lord, we need to be humble servants. Humility to the level of a child. And that same level is considered great in the kingdom of heaven. So as you think about washing feet, wash, feet washing reveal, reveals um, a servant's heart. 
Feet washing reveals true humility, love for our fellow man, unity in the brotherhood, and a willingness to serve. Reveals strong fellowship and community among the body of believers, and also, maybe most importantly, is obedience to the Lord. So this morning, I trust this communion time is going to be a special time for each one of you. And as we remember this morning, may our memory about what the Lord has done for us last, sorry, until the next communion service. And then I'll continue on and on throughout our lifetime. Let's not never forget, but always remember what he has done for us. And what we're going to look at remembering this morning is the crucifix of Jesus Christ that happened 2,000 years ago when he came to provide that way back to our Heavenly Father. And he, he thought about each soul many years ago. And then he redeemed us with his precious blood. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts. And then did it stop there? No. He's watching over us today, and he still cares and protects us each and every day of our lives. And if I would open it up, maybe we have a sharing time about how Jesus just protected or provided for us in a special way. About a, a week ago, I heard a story that you're going to hear just shortly about a testimony of what, how a brother felt the Lord protecting him as he was on, his, uh, on the job. Brother Tony, if you come up front here to the podium, they'll turn the, the sound on down there. And he has a uh, testimony from the Lord that he wants to tell us. Dow shared from Psalm 44, 8 and asked the question, do we share? And here we have a testimony from Brother Tony. As you all know, I drive truck for a living. And there's many stories that I could tell you. This one happened frequently, uh, not too long ago. Um, I was going west on 25, Likens, uh, Higgins area, delivering to a company called SK Construction, and uh, put a good load on. And was, before I get to the shop, there's a pretty good hill. I was climbing a hill, it was raining really hard Thursday morning, and uh, all of a sudden there was no gives. It didn't matter where I put that lever, there was nothing. Um, flipped my buttons, I did everything. I could put it in gear and there was nothing there. And it came to a stop, put in first gear, nothing. And about that time, a tree, big enough to cover the whole road, fell across about 75 foot in front of the truck. The truck was still in gear, but there was no gears. When that tree got done falling, all of a sudden it launched front, stalled. So I knew exactly what happened. Uh, had that tree fallen in the cab, I might not be here. Had it fallen on my new trailer, it would have probably took the whole touch system out. So again, is God alive? He sure is. Thank you. Thank you, Tony, for sharing. That's just one testimony. I'm sure many people could share as well, but God is alive and he's real and he's watching over us. Let's just serve him faithfully. Let's stand for a word of prayer, please. Father God, we come before you this morning. We just thank you, Lord, how you instituted 
communion service and feet washing. Thank you, God, that you are real and you're alive and you're watching over us each and every day of our lives. I pray, Lord, for wisdom and direction. Just watch over us. I pray, Lord, for we could be committed to you with faithful hearts filled with humility and the desire to serve. Bless each one here this morning, Lord. Pray a special blessing upon Lester as he leads out in our communion service. Pray everything could go well, Lord, and your name would be exalted and honored and glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. You may be seated, Brother Lester.